You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. On this episode of This League, we get into why Portland is going all white picket fence on Norman Powell. (laughs) Crazy story. What James Harden's injury means for the Nets, Arya, that's you. Why the Bucks are primed to contend in their place, in the Nets' place, and we talk about Nike and Kobe Bryant more. We also get into some listener DMs. But before we get to the beat, please welcome a special guest producer and second mic, Aria, one of my favorite people at Barstool who's filling in for Marty, who's down south doing some shit I don't even know. Think something about baseball. All right, Aria. So the last episode, we broke down the play-in tournament. To recap quickly, for those who didn't listen, the play-in tournament involves three games in each conference. First, the number seven and eight seeds in each conference play each other in a one-game series. The winner of that game takes the seven seed. Then the nine and ten seeds play each other on the nine seeds' home court. The winner of that game plays the loser of the seventh and eighth game. That is who gets the eight seed. The other two teams, time to go fishing. In other words, the nine and ten seeds need to win two games to get into the playoffs. The seven and the eight seeds only need to win one game to get into the playoffs. All right, so there's a lot of questions on why the play-in tournament was created and how that's different than last year, which is actually a pretty big difference. So the play-in tournament created for four reasons. One, because the season's only 72 games instead of 82. A lot of teams are going to feel like that's unfair. Hey, you know, it's the 72nd game. We're three games out of the eight seed, and with ten more games, with our schedule, we could have gotten to eight. Kind of bullshit, but fine. So that balances out the missing 10 games for teams that are on the edge of the playoffs. Second, it maximizes revenue. You have an entire new week of games that you can use and maximize for the NBA's benefit, for teams' benefits, for viewers' benefits. Uh, Three, it dissuades tanking. Tanking is a massive problem in the NBA. Also, it it dissuades load management, right? So we have teams that just decide, you know what? We're like 10th. Why not just be 15th? What's wrong with that? Why not get more ping pong balls? It's already a wash. We're not going to the playoffs. Let's just continue to lose. Let's lose on purpose. Let's sit our stars. That's fucking whack. Super whack. For fans, for gamblers. I mean, it's a gambler's nightmare, tanking. You have no idea what's going on. And some teams, some players are like, no, I don't want to tank. It's just, you have no idea what's going on. There's no continuity. Right, Arya? I mean, yeah. you're a gambler. And that's, like, the reason why people, some, so many people hate gambling on the NBA, especially with, like, the, the nights of rest. And, and it's, like, not even just the nights of rest. It's, like, you look at the NFL, it's, like, every game matters, you know, where the NBA, a player can, won't come out and say that he didn't try, but he might be like, oh, this is game 60 of, like, 82 this year, 72. And, and they could just be like, ah, I'm just not going to really – I'm not feeling it tonight. I'm worn out. I haven't been the number one option. Like Jeremy Grant, for example, is now the number one option. Mm-hmm. Hasn't been his entire career. And now he's kind of like, ah, I mean, we're terrible. So why? So people have asked the difference between the play-in tournament last year and the one this year. So last year, 22 teams were in the bubble. Top eight went from each conference. And then all the teams that were within six games of making the playoffs went too. In both conferences, if less than four games separated, this is complicated, so let me go slow. In both conferences, if less than four games separated eighth and ninth, 
then they played off for the eighth seed. The ninth seed needed to win two games to get into the playoffs. The eighth seed only needed to win once. In the East, there was none of that. There was no, uh, what would you call it? That There was a larger gap between four games, between eight and nine, so that didn't even happen. The big one was Memphis and Portland. Lit game, Portland basically needed to win the last six games of that season or in the bubble and then had to win the play-in. Yeah, that that was awesome to watch. It was <laughs> it was awesome. And I think that's the thing that makes the play-in so exciting because you don't know what's going to happen. All the way up until the playoffs start, you don't know who's playing who. My Blazers, like I said, barely held, held on to the 8 seed. They beat the Grizzlies, um, get, getting the right to lose to your second favorite team in the Lakers in yeah. five. So there's lots of speculation where the play-in, whether the play-in is here to stay, and I think that it's good for basketball. I've said it before. I think it's great for revenue, and I think it's good for dissuading, dissuading teams from tanking and dissuading teams from resting players that should be playing games. For sure. I think I, we saw that last year with the incentive with the, um, with the Grizzlies and um, uh, the Trailblazers. They, they were trying. They were yeah. trying towards the end. All the way. And I don't think you get the Phoenix Suns going 8-0 and in the bubble if they weren't desperate to try to get in because no one knew what was going to happen. Mm-hmm. So, moving on. Aria, Portland is thirsty for this man, Norman Powell. Thirsty. Willing to do whatever it takes to get this man to sign long-term. Have you heard this story? Uh, no. I, I purposely didn't look into this. Stunning article came out that detailed the lengths that the Blazers are going to try to lock him down. They want the ring. They want the picket fence. They want the whole fucking thing. The whole hot tamale. They're like trying to get him to have kids with them. And it's just kind of a whole crazy story. So this is what it takes now. Now we know what it takes to get a player to sign in a small market city. Kind of a stunning set of uh, facts here. So as soon as Norman Powell was traded, they asked him every single question about his personal wants and needs. Hey, like, what kind of snacks do you like? Um, what's your favorite color? Uh, what kind of laundry detergent do you, do you use? Things about his mom, questions about his girlfriend. Why, you might ask? Well, because the first time that Norman Powell arrived in Portland, they had already set up a fully furnished mansion in the nicest part of Portland with every amenity and every snack and every furnishing he could possibly want. He basically just stepped in to his exact abode. Boom. Probably a better setup than he had in Tampa Bay, to be honest. They had Welch's berries and cherries fruit snacks, lavender-scented laundry detergent, California king-size bed. This is the best part. A private car picked up his two Pomeranians, Huskies, two Pomeranian Huskies, what a combo, and drove them from Tampa Bay all the way to Portland. Think about that for a second. Dogs have to go on potty breaks. Dogs have to go poo-poo. Dogs have to be fed. So you're going from Tampa Bay, Florida to Portland, Oregon, probably one of the highest distances across the country. And you've got to stop and feed them and let them out. What a wild accommodation that is. So Norman Norman Powell is a is a good player. I expect this for someone like LeBron, like without even thinking about it. 
and you being a fan of the Trailblazers, can you explain why? Yeah, I would say that Portland is not a market that attracts free agents because it rains 80% of the time. It doesn't it rains from October 1 to July 5th. That's like what we say. July as soon as July 4th is over because it always rains on 4th of July. Mm-hmm. It just always ruins your sparklers <laughs> and your little little bottle rockets and things. Two there's not a lot of things to do and to, unless you're just really into outdoors. Not a lot of clubs, not a lot of nightlife. Mm. Not a I mean there's a great restaurant scene, but it's not the type of big city atmosphere that you would get in a place like LA, New York, Miami. And the weather is huge. And also there's not a lot of cultural diversity. That makes sense. So, you've got to bend over backwards to get a guy that I don't know what you would call Norman Powell, but you wouldn't call him a top-tier player. Yeah, he's like right down the right down the road. He, like he's reliable. He's a definite starter, definite twenty point a game player, versatile. Yep. But he's not someone that you would think that a team would do this for. Literally set it up. They made the house in all of his mom's favorite colors. They created a room specifically for his girlfriend to feel comfortable. Like this is crazy. They are breaking their backs for Norman Powell, and I tell you this. If they don't get him to say yes, if he goes, oh, that was nice, but nah. That's how you know that Portland will never get a big free agent, ever. Like, just real quick, I'm uh, I'm a, I'm a fan, as you know, of multiple teams in the NBA, which, I don't know, you can call me a fraud if you want, but... That's how I feel about the D.C., like Washington Wizards. Like, great, we have Russell Westbrook. Like, it's not going to work, but it's going to be fun to watch. But when are we going to get another free? Like, we're never getting free agents. It's kind of, it's like D.C. is a great city. There's clubs there, but the weather sucks. It's not New York. It's not L.A. So And it's tiny. It's tiny. You 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 live there. Yep. Like you know how it is. It's not. It's and the food scene is really bad. It's there. okay. It's just like okay. It's like an okay place. That's how I feel about DC. And I just never. I really feel like I'll never see a superstar there. Like I'm so grateful for Gra- uh, Brad- Bradley Beal, but like I feel like he's going to be gone eventually because we. What do we offer? You know, I don't know that that's true. I think what you'll get is Bradley Beal, who has decided and has talked to Damian Lillard, and they both have said the same thing, is, listen, we are loyal dudes. We're fine not winning championships. We want to make this work. And Bradley Beal, now that the Wizards are winning again, and I think that they're going to probably sneak into the play-in, and they are one of the most dangerous, hottest teams in the NBA right now. I think Bradley Beal and Russell Westbrook are working. Mm -hmm. I don't know how long that will work for, but I think that – it's okay if you're someone like Brad Beal and someone like Dame who says, listen, championships are nice, but my commitment to the community, to me, is more important. So yeah. that's, I think, where we're at on that. By, by the way, as an aside, Blazers, one of the best organizations in the NBA, D.C. would be wise to treat their players as well as Portland does. 100%. Portland has a barbershop inside the practice facility. Portland brings in multiple different restaurants, including Whole Foods. They have nutritionists on site. You want for nothing. I've asked multiple people within the Blazers organization why they do that, and they said, I mean, we have to. We are such a small market that we want to be so enticing to people that once they get there, 
they stay. And Portland is a great city once you're there. You do fall in love. A lot of former Blazers live there for the rest of their life. Mm-hmm. That so makes sense. that's the news on that. You can't stop this, stop this train across the pan. Unbreakable, one shot, unshakable. Break away my appetite, insatiable. I want it all and I'm better than ever before. There is no limit, pain and suffering I will endure. I'll be the greatest to ever do it and ever live. All right, let's talk about James Harden. James Harden's new injury means that the Nets probably will not win it all this year. Aria, I'm sorry. So no way can the Nets win it now. Yikes. You think? No way the (laughs) Nets win it now. If they do, it will be one of the greatest accomplishments in chemistry because they've played a total of six and a half games together as as a trio. Which is one of the wildest stats because of their win-loss record, too. It's insane. (laughs) We are going to get even more insane on these stats. Harden has missed nine straight games with a hamstring, three games before that with neck soreness, was supposed to be back this week. And then, setback time. Of course. Of course. I mean, (laughs) he is one of the most durable guys in in the league, but he did not come to Brooklyn to carry the load like he was in Houston. And he's getting a little too old to carry the load like he did in Houston. But Kyrie being Kyrie on his walkabout, on his injuries, KD coming back from injuries, and that's exactly what James Harden needed to do. Nash said to Malika Andrews, they are back to square one with James Harden. He will be back when he's back. That's not good, folks. I I don't like hearing that. (laughs) Woj says Harden is out indefinitely and might be back in time for the playoffs. That's also not a great sign. He might be back before, but he might be back after. And even that is not certain. So, folks, I would say this is bad. This is really bad. Nets are 6-6 six and six without him, which is terrible considering they've won, like you said, Arya, 70% of the time this season when he plays. They are over 35% better with him in the lineup. This is the guy that the Nets brought in to lead, be the facilitator, the connective tissue with the big three. Those big three that we've all been excited about, like I said, six and a half games together in total. So do you think that that might be an issue? I'm sorry. This is tough for you to hear. This is like a damning, daunting thing for you. Do you think that the chemistry will just go back and flow right away starting playoff time? Not at all. Not at all. <laughs> That's just not how it goes. I mean, real quick, just uh, looking at the Heat, when it was Braun, Bosch, and Wade the first year, they didn't get it going until like halfway through the year, and they played together the whole time and still weren't able to put it together. And that's those legends right there. And those are legends. Yeah. These are not legends. Not the same way. They're not, great. Not they're in the same way. Not in the same way. And by the way, D-Wade had already won a ring carrying the load, and Braun was headed to win his. So I think shaking off the rust is going to be tough. Getting all on the same page is going to be tough. And it's crazy because Harden was supposed to be the healthy one. He is the durable one. KD and Kyrie, we knew they were going to miss games. They have significant injury history. They're not guys that play the full season in the history of their career. That hasn't been the case. And now Harden's out indefinitely too? Fuck. But, but, but. I would say the good news is that not only is James Harden this good, not only is he a critical part for the net success, the interesting part about James Harden, and this is what we're seeing with him as a net versus as a rocket or as a thunder six man, 
I think you could make a case. Harden is the most important player to his team than anyone in the NBA. A hundred percent agree. I didn't think that when they acquired him, to be honest. Like, I, I thought he was a great player. But as soon as I saw his impact, I, I completely agree. Impact stunning. Let's go through it. So I was having this thought about bucket getting and how important buckets are, right? But let's be real. Getting a bucket is the hardest thing to do in the NBA. Defending is hard. Getting a bucket is harder, right? So we look at our group of MVP candidates this year. How do they do? How do their teams do when they score 30 or more and they put the team on their back? Are they able to legit carry and will a team to win all by themselves? So let's go through our MVP candidates, starting with the consensus current MVP in Jokic. He has had 17 games over 30. What do you think the record, their record is when he goes for over 30, Arya? I would say 14 and 3. 10 and 7 <laughs> when Jokic goes off statistically worse than their season record percentage. So they are actually worse off when he goes off, which makes sense, right? Yeah. So less of a chance of winning when he goes off. 58% versus 65%. How about Giannis? He's had 19 games over 30 points this year. Guess what? The Bucks are 10 and 9 in those games when the Greek goes off. That's, that's incredible. Far worse than the Bucks season winning percentage. 52.6 versus 61%. All right, let's go through the people who we really know are that guy, right? Icewater Dame. This is stunning. 27 games this year over 30. That's not surprising. Also not surprising, the Blazers are 19 and 8 when he goes ham. What? 19 and 8 when Dame goes off. 70% versus 56%, which is the current Blazers winning percentage. Man, is that a fucking stat. We need Dame. He's a walking bucket. He is a bucket. <laughs> he is that dude. That's insane. Chef Curry, 27 games over 30. 18 and 9 when he goes off. Man, are they almost the same player, huh? Yeah. They are really yeah. so close as players. That's crazy. Let's talk about JoJo Embiid. 19 games over 30. Keep in mind, JoJo has only played 38 games this year in total. Half the time, he's putting up over 30. This stat is nuts. 15 and 4 when he puts up 30 plus. 79% versus 68, which the differential is not that much, but that's because they are gross anyway. They are just winning at a gross clip. Yeah. You're taking one of the best teams in the NBA and making them unstoppable when he goes off. That right there, those three, that's MVP shit. But the most shocking player is Harden. Harden has had 10 games as a net over 30. How many do you think the Nets have won when he goes off? 10 games? Yep. Uh, I'm going to go with like 9-1. and one. All fucking 10. Jesus. Every single game that James Harden has put up over 30, the Nets have won. Think about that. That is incredible. That is putting your team on your back and willing them to win. Let's talk about that game against Phoenix. This is the prime example of how good James Harden is and how little we've 
given him his respect over the course of him in Houston. February 16th, the Nets play the Suns, hottest team in basketball, riding this huge win streak, really on fire, in Phoenix, fully healthy. Nets are double-digit underdogs. They are plus 12. No KD, no Kyrie, and they're playing against Booker, Bridges, CP3, Aiton, and Crowder. Who was on the floor for Brooklyn, you ask? Fucking scrubs. Tyler Johnson, Joe Harris, DeAndre Jordan, Bruce Brown. (laughs) And James Harden single-handedly carried that squad to a four-point win. What? He also did that against the Sixers. Two best teams in basketball, and James Harden was about that fucking life. It's crazy to me because I just look at Dame and his numbers and his his supporting cast compared to the Nets, and it's just it's it's insane. The record, you know, it's like night and day. It's night and day. Harden had thirty eight seven and eleven that game. He went fourteen for twenty two, nine points in the last minute and a half. All of that to say. Folks, do you believe me now that Harden is the most important player on his team than any other individual in the NBA? If he wasn't injured, I think it would be a fucking travesty if he didn't win the MVP. This league, we talked about what Harden's injury means and that most likely the Nets won't be winning the championship. Let me say it again for those in the back. (laughs) Most likely the Nets are not going to win the championship this year. They probably won't even come out of the East this year. So who is coming out of the East? I mean, I've got to recant. I don't apologize often. I don't go backwards often. But goddamn, the Milwaukee Bucks look good. Really? They look so good. They look like they are a nightmare. No one on earth wants to play them right now. Their perimeter defense is grotesque. All of a sudden, they've gotten gritty. No better example came than when the Bucks played the Suns last week. I thought to myself, can the Bucks score enough? Can they shut down Booker? CP3? And for a full 48 fucking minutes, the answer was yes. They went to overtime. They got exactly the matchups that they wanted. They get, their game plan was executed to perfection. The only thing that happened was a ticky-tack foul on Booker. At the end of the game, they would have gone to double overtime. Who knows? Booker hits his free, free throws, game over. That is about as close of a game as you can get, folks. Best word to describe this team is annoying. (laughs) Like, they are very annoying. They are. You could just tell. Booker was annoyed. CP3 was annoyed. Chris Middleton is long. He is gritty. Drew Holiday was playing like Patrick Beverly. He was literally playing for 94 feet. Just, like, locking fools down. Chris Middleton gets, like, no respect at all. These... He's, I'm not saying he's a superstar, but he's like like a level below super superstar. He's a star. He's he's like he's he is so reliable. I think Chris Middleton is much better, especially when you watch uh, the playoffs last year when Giannis went down. Chris Middleton is able to do way more things than Budenholzer allows him to do with Giannis on the floor. He basically makes Chris Middleton just stand there on the perimeter. He can do the 3 and D thing, and he can do a lot more. He's more of a slasher than you would think. Yep. I was really surprised. I thought to myself, wow, the Blazers could use Chris Middleton. Honestly, the I had him on a, a fantasy basketball team, and that's what, like two years ago, and that's what opened my eyes to Chris Middleton because he was just stacking stats left and right. And since then, I've just kind of like 
peeked in to see how he's doing like ever so randomly. They are a dark horse. Yeah. And I thought to myself, how how is this new Bucks team going to play out in the Eastern Conference? Who keeps up with them offensively? They're fourth in the NBA offensively, number one in the East. Shocking stat, actually. Did you know that they were number one offensive team in the East over the Nets, over the Sixers? No, because they they had a hiccup, you know, through the season, and I honestly didn't think that at all. They were neck and neck with the Suns, two teams very close offensively, and the Suns are one of the best teams in the NBA. I never thought I'd say this to myself, but, like, are the Milwaukee Bucks the favorites to go to the finals? It's so weird because at the beginning of the season, they they were so inconsistent and so shaky that I would have I wouldn't have said no. It just happened out of nowhere. Mm-hmm. But you put a gritty defense on a team with, that's the first best offense in the East, fourth in the league, and yeah, like it's a whole other ball game. And I think Drew can now hit game winners instead of giving the ball to Giannis. So let's face it, like when teams pack the paint on Giannis. Now you have another guy besides Chris Middleton that can go and get you a bucket. Mm-hmm. That's huge. Pressure off of the Greek freak because that was the strategy. Just like make Giannis shoot because that boy can't shoot. That was the difference between the Bucks last year and the year before that and the Bucks right now. The Pelicans have fallen off, and I would say that that is very largely due mm-hmm. to Drew Holiday not being there anymore. I think Drew Holiday may be one of the most versatile, mm-hmm. put on a team, kind of like Chris Paul in a way. Yeah, You yeah. put Chris Paul or you put Drew Holiday on a team, and all of a sudden they elevate much more than you would think that they would because they can play offense and defense at an elite level. Mm-hmm. Three seed in the East, they'll probably play the Celtics, which as everyone knows will be an easy win for them. Because Boston has zero answer for Giannis. Uh, Drew and Chris will shut down the Jays. So then it leaves a second-round matchup with your Nets. Everyone wants to see that. What do you think about that? So I don't know because who's going to be back? It's like what – are they going to like come back together all at once or like – is it just going to be KD and Harden and like like a mix like every other week? It's like a grab bag of, of elite stars. Yeah, it's like I don't think that's going to hold up for the playoffs. It's like one thing for regular season playoffs. It's completely different when you're playing the same team every other night. And they're scheming for you and changing things for you. The question is really, will Harden, KD, and Kyrie all be healthy in the second round after the first onslaught of their first round matchup? I don't think so. I don't know. I think you're going to have more setbacks. Which tells me that most likely they're going to be playing the Sixers in the Eastern Conference Finals. And I'm sitting here thinking to myself about matchups. And I'm like, who the fuck is going to guard Giannis and Brooke Lopez? Yeah, exactly. And that's what I think. If KD is back, that'll help for Giannis. Like, guarding Giannis. But, again, who knows? This is wild because this is the year that everybody thought that this was Brooklyn's year, year to win, right? And... No one should be making moves and putting their chips in the middle of the table because it doesn't matter. Nothing that you can do will stop Harden, stop Kyrie, and stop KD. And the Bucks said, you know what? We don't care about that. We'll see. Mm-hmm. We'll see. KD's coming off of an Achilles injury. He's going to have some compensation issues. They got Harden. We don't care. We're going to figure it out. And the Bucks did everything they could to keep their franchise star happy. And they said, if we don't win, we don't win, but at least we tried. Teams in the West would be very well-served warriors to actually put their nuts on the table and do some things because they're, like I said last episode, they are wasting their marquee stars 
prime because they're so worried about LeBron James and AD that they don't even try to make money moves. So take that for data. huh? That's a lesson in this league. You never know how things are going to shake out. Brooklyn and Milwaukee are great examples of how fortunes can change just like that. Let's talk about Nike and Kobe for a second. Oh boy, what a story. You're a Kobe fan? You playing Kobe's? Yes, big time to both, but huge Kobe stan. Like my my favorite. That's my that's my goat even though Jordan is the goat in my eyes, but Kobe was for me. I don't think Kobe Bryant shoes exist without Nike. I don't think you can have Kobe Bryant shoes with any other brand. No, because you saw what happened with Adidas, the moon boots. It was terrible. The moon boots would be cute for about 35 seconds. I would put them in a glass box and I would never wear them. <laughs> but there is no Mamba shoe without Nike. So now this is where we're at. Nike has tried to profit off of Kobe's death. And Vanessa Bryant was having zero of that. So the contract came up and Vanessa said, you know what? We're good on Nike. We're just going to take a step back. We'll figure out what we're going to do. But no more Nike shoes that are, have Kobe's name on them for the foreseeable future, which is kind of crazy. I don't know when that actually will stop production. Um, but this is a problem. So Nike apparently was making Kobe releases so limited that people were reselling them on StockX instead of being able to buy them, right? They weren't wanting to wear them at retail because they could get like $1,200 for them on the open market. Mm-hmm. And then Hoopers, who actually want to play in them, couldn't afford them. Vanessa Bryant said, well, that's not really what Kobe was trying to do. Kobe wants people to have access to his kicks. Mm-hmm. And Nike... It's actually not even a good business move because yeah. Nike's trying to make Kobe's hype sneakers. Yeah, I don't like that. And it feels weird. Also, like Kobe Bryant shoes are basketball shoes. They were never wear around mm-hmm. shoes. Like you're not flossing to the club in Kobe's. They're like one of the best basketball shoes, like structure wise, ankle wise. Like you feel like a glove you're wearing, but it's comfortable. Yeah, and it's uncomfortable to just walk around though in. yes you know what i mean it's meant to lock you into play not to just hang out in i would never want to hang out yeah. in a pair of kobe's so it didn't really make a lot of sense what percentage of the league do you think plays in kobe's if you had to like first guess um i would say i hate saying a low number because he's my guy but it was like 10 percent maybe uh, out of the 405 players in the NBA, 103 of them wear Kobe's. Damn. So 20%. Damn. So I just don't see a scenario where that deal doesn't get redone in some way. Because I think you have 20% of NBA players that are going to want those shoes. I don't think they're going to want to move on and try something new. No. It's like when Tom Brady had to change his helmet. Yeah, yeah. And he was like, no. Like, this is the helmet that I'm comfortable wearing. People have been wearing Kobe's for a very long time. They've been fit in a certain way. Even when they've been from the threes to the fours to the fives to the sixes, they're always sort of built in that similar fashion fit-wise, right? Mm-hmm. So that's that's something that's a problem, and I think that's something that gives her all the leverage. But that's only part of the story. How come Nike wouldn't do a lifetime contract with Kobe in the first place? Like, there was a new story out. They did a lifetime deal with LeBron. Mm-hmm. They basically gave Jordan... 
his like whole sub brand. Yep. But Kobe Bryant, the only guy that care gives a shit about performance shoes, where LeBron and Jordan are very much wear off the court and on the court shoe. Yep. Why wouldn't they just do that deal with Kobe? I mean, you consider twenty percent of the league wear Mambas. Seems insane not to lock him up forever. You know all the things that he wants to do creatively. Why wouldn't you create a collaboration with what he's trying to do elsewhere? And they're always going to be bought. Always going to be bought. LeBron shoes, like, aren't even good basketball shoes. And they locked him up indefinitely. I hate LeBron's sneakers so much. <laughs> so, Are they not so, one of the worst basketball shoes to ever be invented? They, I don't even like the way they look, let alone how they feel. But it's like... I don't know. Maybe my bias is coming out against LeBron, but it's just like I'm shocked by some of the sneakers that basketball players come out with. So I used to work at Nike, and when I was there, they told me this story. LeBron came to them and said, hey, I want to design a shoe that protects myself from myself. Basically, put my feet in prison. Mm -hmm. Stop me from rolling my ankle. Stop me from putting too much pressure and torque on the rest of my feet. I have too much power. I have too much momentum. Figure out a way to keep me safe. For someone that looks like me, 110 pounds, (laughs) do you think I want my feet in prison? No. No. I don't want blocks on my feet. You got hot-ass feet. It's, It's hot. They're heavy. You can't move in them. You can't. You look at LeBron playing there out there on the perimeter. He looks blocky out there for a reason. It's not just because he's 265 pounds. It's because he has designed his shoes that way. Yeah. That's not good, folks. They are borderline unwearable. The average person doesn't want to wear those unless they're LeBron stands. You're not putting on LeBron's and, like, strapping up to go hoop. That's just not the case. And then let's talk about Jordan's, the other lifetime contract that Nike gave them. If I see you in in Jordans, <laughs> if, I, if we pull up and we're about to go run fives and I see someone in like the Jordan 13s, I'm like, oh, I know what this guy is. This is the guy that dribbles a million times, sees everyone open and decides they're going to shoot from 30. He's wearing a, jer- uh, a Jordan jersey, too. And he's got the whole kit. He's probably on. got an arm, an elbow yeah, sleeve. Yeah. He might have like. He might wear like a long sleeve sweatshirt. He might play in a hoodie and a beanie on. Yeah, yeah. And he's just like, you could kind of see him like move his shoulder. He's just, ugh. Like the guys that play in Jordans, you know those kind of people. And they're not friends, people you want to be friends with, by the way. No. (laughs) People who play basketball seriously in Jordans care more about how they look than how they play. Because let's be real, any shoe that was created in 1989... Exactly, I was about to say. (laughs) ...is not the ideal shoe to hoop in. Nope. And let me tell you this, if Jordans were good, Kobe would have been playing in them. Yeah. Kobe would have been playing in Jordan, that was his idol. Mm -hmm. And if he said no, Jesus, that speaks volumes. So yeah, everybody's all like, oh yeah, Vanessa, just create your own line of Kobe's. Like, maybe go to Puma... How? How? How, Sway? Is, he gonna, is she going to use the Kobe logo? Nope. Kobe signature? Nope. Is that, is that all owned by uh, Nike? It's all owned by Nike. There you go. It's all part of the Nike deal that they did. All that IP is theirs. Damn. Some of the names of the models, probably the Mamba name. Mm-hmm. A lot of things are tied up with those shoes because they've been going on for a long time. Tough. All those designs that are synonymous with Kobe's, mm-hmm. the way that they feel, the way that they look, nope. So, either we are now going to be deprived for Kobe Bryant shoes for the rest of our life, 
or a deal has to get done ASAP Rocky. There are now players coming out saying, this is a, this is a big deal. I need to now strategically decide what shoes I want to put away and what ones I want to wear on the court so that I can wear and like cryogenically freeze my Kobe so that I can wear them the rest of my career. And they're still maintaining their level of like resilience, right? Because shoes degrade over time. They're going to have like wine freeze, you know, those like wine coolers, but for Kobe's. 100%. That is crazy. I got, I got rid of my Kobe's like two years ago because I like I hooped in them and I just like I got more sneakers and I need to make room. I bet you regret that now, huh? Exactly. <laughs> I was about to say, like, I would just want them just to have them. I have a pair of Kobe's right now. Those uh, ones that came out a month before he died. Yeah. And I flipped the second pair because I accidentally bought two pairs. Oh hell yeah! And I bought I flipped the second pair for like nine hundred. Sorry, Kobe. I just it was that's just the going rate. They were too small. I don't blame you. But someone else has them now. Someone else has them. But I think the end of the story is she renegotiates. She says, "Hey, we need to make more of these available so that every hooper can have them. You end up getting more revenue. Mm-hmm. The Kobe legacy continues, and you pay me more money. Otherwise, it's everybody get on StockXs and buy as many Kobe's as you pay." Possibly can. All right, let's get into some DMs. Um, we've got some questions. It's been a few weeks since we had questions. So the deal is this, Ari. You read me the questions, and then I answer them. Okay. So question, or DM number one, we'll go with, uh, if Giannis could be traded anywhere, where would you go? Like, where would I have him go? Yeah. If Giannis could be traded anywhere, where would I want him to go? That's an interesting question, actually. I think a few places off tops. I think uh, Portland wins a title with da- with Giannis, Dame, and CJ. It's just not close. What do you think? A hundred percent. If he goes to Portland, there's no. I can't see them being stopped. It's a dynasty. Yeah. Four out of six titles. I can see that. Because how do you stop them? I don't. I don't think that you could. Another destination that I see is the Knicks. Julius Randle and Giannis on the Garden. Ugh. I just see him on the cover of Madison Square Garden on a billboard, him parlaying with Jimmy Kimmel yeah. on SNL. Yep. I mean, he would be a more than a worldwide brand that he is now, which is crazy. Yeah. And then, but I think the, that being said, the best fit is Dallas. I think Luca and Giannis would be a tremendous duo. Can you just imagine that Luca's passes to Giannis? Sick. Him threading the needle, lobs. Him out on the perimeter. Oh, my God. Giannis wouldn't have to worry about everything flowing through him either. You know, it could if they want to, but they could always, you know, just be like, all right, Luca. Very take- similar to if Luca had Zion. Yeah. Like, you literally yes. have two guys that can be a focal point of the offense at any given time, and you could run completely different styles of offense at any given time. Teams wouldn't know what to do. Yeah. And on top of that, you take Mark Cuban, one of the best branding experts in the world. So true. Think about what he would do with Giannis. He's never had since, I mean, until now with Luka. And even then, he's never had a marketable player ever. Dirk Nowitzki, gross. Dirk Nowitzki (laughs) should have been a spur. Like, Dirk Nowitzki is not what Mark Cuban wanted for his organization. It actually changed the complexity of how you think about the Mavericks. You don't think about them as an exciting franchise. You think about them like Eurostep, one foot back, Literally. fade away. Yep. 
gross. I still can't believe they won against the Heat <laughs> that that one year. I mean, that's an asterisk. <laughs> that's an that's an asterisk. JJ Barea did all kinds he of crazy did. things. He went off that series. He w- and he was like pissing off all the the members of the Heat. <laughs> Two guys on that team that could command a double team. Yeah. Unstoppable. All right, next question. Next one. Who should the Knicks pursue in free agency to fill the point next year? Mm. Who should the Knicks go after in free agency to fill the point? All right, let's let's make the case for the Knicks pursuing Dennis Schroeder in the offseason. No team in the NBA needs a point guard worse than the Knicks. That's facts. Mm-hmm. Everyone knows that the Knicks need a point guard. So according to Woj, they've already narrowed their search to two players. Lonzo Ball, Dennis Schroeder. Maybe Spencer Dinwiddie, but coming off of an injury, I don't see it. Yeah, no. There are other PGs on the market. There's only other point guards in the market, but I think they're old. Like, Chris Paul has a player option for 40 mil, so I don't think that's going to happen. Kyle Lowry, too old. Mm -hmm. I think they want someone who can do more things. Yeah. So should the Knicks pursue Dennis Schroeder in the offseason? Let's make the case. Dude is a gamer. 6'3", nasty. Looks a lot smaller than he is. Cut. I think he's probably like the second coming of Rondo. Not a phenomenal shooter, but very gritty. I totally see that. Great defender, great passer. Surprisingly athletic. He can block like Rondo, rebound like Rondo. Uh, He had 25 points, 8 rebounds, and 2 blocks against that overtime win against the Jazz. Ooh, whoa. Not Not a great shooter, but I don't think that the Knicks care that much about that. The one thing I think Tibbs wouldn't like is that he turns the ball over a ton. Yeah. Big time turnover problem, but I think Tibbs would probably beat that out of him. I was about to say, he would get that out of him. You would just run suicides from here (laughs) until the end of time until you stop turning the ball over. For sure. Tibbs is the kind of guy that will just bench you. Literally, yeah. As soon as you turn the ball over more than two times in a game, you're out. Straight old school coach. For sure. Mm -hmm. But I think that there's something fearless and gritty and pesky about Dennis Schroeder that Tibbs would absolutely love. He breaks down defenses really well. He can slash. He can hit tough shots. And he can play make. LeBron calls him Dennis the Menace. (laughs) I think that's a perfect fit for Tibbs. If the Knicks have to overpay for him, I mean, Dennis Schroeder has very clearly said he wants more than $21 million a year. So the Knicks are going to have to pay up. Or the question is, should the Knicks pursue Lonzo Ball in the offseason? Mmm. Different kind of player altogether. I can't read him. Can't read him. Make some mistakes. Lonzo, though, is the kind of player that Tibbs would like because, like I said before, the Knicks have a hard time getting buckets. A really hard time getting the offense to move free and flowing. Sometimes Julius Randle makes it look way too hard. Mm-hmm. Lonzo Ball... Very good off the ball. I'm not going to say he's like Steph, but he's good off the ball like Steph. Yeah. He's also good as a facilita- facilitator as a, and as a playmaker, which I think is very difficult to find. You can't find both. Like Damian Lillard is is a good example of someone who can do both, but CJ is not, mm-hmm. right? So I really like that he's moving a lot. They've obviously put him into a 3 and D role which I think is probably a little bit limiting for him, which is why LeVar Ball doesn't want him to play in New Orleans. But he's a better three-point shooter than Dennis Schroeder. He's hitting, I want to say, 40% from three. Something ridiculous. Better. He's had more threes than Trey Young. 
That's that's kind of crazy. <laughs> Bet more <laughs> threes than Trey Young. There was a stat about how many more threes than he had than people that was. I forget what the stat was, but it was crazy. Very good offensive decision maker. Underrated passer. Good court vision. He also has a a assist to usage rate that ranks twelfth in the NBA among all guards. And Alfred Payton, who everyone shits on, is fourth worst in the league. So that would be a big upgrade. Yeah. I think he's just bigger, too. He's 6'6". Mm-hmm. He can defend the perimeter a little bit better than Dennis Schroeder. Dennis Schroeder's one of those guys that will get all up in your grill. Lonzo will play sort of long and smarter, if yeah. that makes sense. Yeah, yeah. So I don't think the Knicks can go wrong with either one. But of the two, I think I'd go with Dennis Schroeder. And we'll cover where I think Lonzo Ball ends up soon. All right, let's go. Uh, what is up with the uniforms this year? I don't understand what's happening. I mean, what a great question. This is fucking ridiculous, Arya. It is. Some of the jerseys are not good this year. What are they doing? I don't know. I think they're, like, overthinking it or, like, trying too hard. They did this thing where, like, colors just came out of nowhere that have never been associated with the franchise in history. Never. Blue for the Houston Rockets. Baby powder blue. Oh, my God, I hate that. It's confusing to me. Sometimes you watch games and you're like, have to look at the graphics package. And they change the graphics package to tell you who you're supposed to be watching. Mm -hmm. I watched the Mavs play the Celtics and I was like, someone help. (laughs) How are the the Dallas Mavericks in green and the Celtics are in blue? Like, I don't know what's happening. I hate the Lakers in blue. And it's like, I know what they're doing. They're paying homage to Minneapolis, old school jerseys. I hate those jerseys. And so many people in L.A. love the Kobe Bryant blue jersey, uh, and I love him to death. Hate, hate, hate. They're purple and gold. That's what they are. That's what they always will be. Don't change it. <laughs> Get out of here with these baby blue. Also, Milwaukee Bucks, gross jerseys, the one that say Cream City. Cream City. This is gross to say that. There's like ones in cream. There's ones in purple. The 76ers cream jerseys with the bell. Get the fuck out of here with those. They look like a giant pit stain. Like you literally yeah. just got so sweaty and you couldn't wash and bleach out the jersey. So now you're just left with this like off white thing. Yeah. And like some teams like tried really hard and then you could look at some others and it looks like they didn't try at all. It's such a weird year this year with uh, the city editions. Yeah. We'll talk about that Houston Rockets powder blue and red. Why is powder blue and red a thing? Why do those go together? They don't. I, they don't go together. <laughs> that was the infamous jersey that made James Harden so fat looking that they had to trade him. <laughs> like, that's the reason. How about Chicago in smoke gray with gold? With a weird font. You should always use the nostalgic block Chicago Bull font. You should use that bowl every single time. It's one of the best logos in all the leagues in it's, my, my, it's in one my of personal the, it's one of the logos with the highest brand value. Yeah. So why wouldn't you use it? Mm-hmm. It doesn't make any sense, especially since you're a franchise that sucks. Yeah. If you suck, make everyone remember when you did not suck. When Just a quick story. When I was with the Nets, that's literally like the first year I was there, they were good. And the second year, they got like KG and Paul Pierce. So that was okay. And then after that, they had it was bad. But what they relied upon was their merch because it's still black and white, goes with everything. You know, it's up to, you know, your personal preference if you think the Nets look cool or not. But 
it worked way better having that merch. Before they turned into the Brooklyn Nets, the Seattle Sonics had sold more merch than the New Jersey Nets did the year before they turned into the Brooklyn Nets because that's how bad the New New Jersey Nets branding was. Wow. And the Sonics weren't even in the league at that point. You know what's interesting is that there's Nets that block retro New yep. Jersey net with the red and the blue mm-hmm. now actually looks fire. It's that's the funny thing. Is like then it looked like trash and now it's like, oh, that's like vintage, retro, like well, looks cool. Well the thing is is like, in my opinion, if you were at one point dominant, then you should remain true to those that dominant time period always. Agreed. Until you go into a new place of dominance. Now that the Nets have overcome their mediocrity yep. and their very dark times, they can pay homage to the times that we were trash and we were in like Paramus. Exactly. Exactly. And now it's like, oh, that was fun. Remember the New Jersey Nets? Like, yeah. Now, like, if, if they were losing, it'd be like, I don't want to see that. Yeah, don't show me this <laughs> low-budget fucking, like, bluish, whitish, I don't even know, tie-dye with the red Nets. Yeah. Don't do that. But now that I see Kyrie in it, mm-hmm. now that I see KD in it, now that I see James Harden in it, hell yeah. And it makes it so much more cooler. I'm going to go and do a TikTok today on the top 10 worst jerseys in the league. Go to my TikTok, at Trista Crick, because I am going to let loose, and you're going to see exactly what I mean, because it's hard for me to visually explain it in an audio format. That's all the time that we have for this league. Please subscribe, rate, review on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. It makes a huge difference. Uh, we also have This League hoodies on sale at the Barstool Store. Please don't forget to follow us at This League and Trista Crick on TikTok, IG, YouTube, and Facebook. Thank you for listening. And we will see you Monday afternoon. Check out our new NBA show, Beyond the Arc, part of the CBS Sports Podcast Network, where you can find me, John Gonzalez, NBA insider Bill Ryder, and Ashley Nicole Moss, five days a week talking all things NBA. Whether you're looking for insightful discussions, upbeat commentary, breaking news, interviews, or coverage of all the biggest stories in the NBA, our new show is the place to be five days a week. Download and follow Beyond the Arc on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you get your favorite podcasts.